Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, Ben Allen will be continuing our study on the book of Acts. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. All right, everyone. Good morning, good evening, uh, whatever uh, time of day that you're listening to this. My name is Benjamin Allen. This is the last episode for me, um, and and then Tom Brennan is going to take over for this next section of Acts. Last episode, we discussed the introduction of another character named Barnabas and the incredible generosity of the body of Christ displayed in the city of Jerusalem. In this episode, we see the account of Ananias and Sapphira. It's a full of ironic and sad twists, and the story demonstrates how seriously people should have taken their commitments before God. Let's open up our Bibles and read the text. I'm reading out of the ESV, Acts 5, 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the feet of the, or laid it at the, feet of the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these things, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who had heard of it. Young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who had heard these things. Now, This story reflects the first example of a punitive or rule violation miracle. While many see this as totally contrary to Jesus' ministry of compassion, they seem to overlook the withering of the fig tree in Mark 11, as the judgment Jesus pronounces in Luke 21, verse 23. And so, while Joshua 7 or Leviticus 10, 1 through 5, may have helped to shape this section of the narrative, it's important to remember that this God the church now serves is the same God of the Old Testament. And they, as well as we, should expect to see continuity of character and action. The structure of this section is split in two, having the same ending at the end of verse 5 and verse 11. 
In Luke's view, this couple is guilty of secrecy, collusion, and attempting to lie to the Holy Spirit. What is at stake here is the koinonia of the community, which the Spirit indwelt. One act of secrecy of, and selfishness violates the character of openness and honesty which characterized the early community of Jesus' followers. This is a reminder that even in the most spirit-filled congregations, the most, uh, excuse me, the evil one is at work. Every gospel-preaching church will face opposition from the outside. And this story teaches how sinful actions create opposition on the inside, too. While I could point out many lessons in this passage, uh, a scholar expresses its overarching idea succinctly. He says, quote, A dangerous holiness is God's response to determined hypocrisy. Say that again. A dangerous holiness is God's response to a determined hypocrisy. Indeed, here we read about the duplicity of Ananias, the complacency of Sapphira, and God's resulting terrifying holiness. In verse 3, we see Peter being portrayed as having prophetic insight, seeing into the hearts of others. Ananias described as someone filled with Satan. Judas Iscariot was once labeled this way by Luke in Luke 22, 3. Didn't really end up well for him, uh, but Luke sees this story not just as being about human greed and duplicitous actions, but about an invasion of the community of the spirit by the powers of darkness by means of Ananias. This incident was much more than a simple oversight, rather it was an act of duplicity. Whatever we make of Peter's question about Satan filling Ananias's heart, we must affirm with the real influence of Satan. The devil destroys through the love of money, falsehood, and hypocrisy. He tempts people to act unwisely and godlessly. He tempts people to think that sin is no big deal. But to make no mistake, his ultimate goal in all of this is to destroy people and the church. Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. As a consequence of this massive offense, judgment fell. It came from God, not Peter. In this scene, Peter simply does what brothers and sisters do. He holds these professing believers accountable. Some argue that they died of heart attacks or some other common cause. But in any case, the resulting spirit of fear that came upon everyone as a result, uh, as, as well as the unceremonious burial they were given, indicate that the people recognized what had happened to these two were divine judgment. But wasn't this instantaneous judgment extreme? Only if we minimize the offense uh, by minimizing the one against whom the sin was committed. God has been belittled by the acts, actions of these two, and his church was facing a satanic assault made apparent by their deeds. God takes these things seriously. Paul spoke about God's terrifying judgment as people took the Lord's Supper impurely in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight through 30 The account wasn't as dramatic as this one, but what happened in that case was real and serious too. 
people got sick. They ended up, as a result, being a judgment bleeped upon their heads in 1 Corinthians. The story should make us repent and say, God, have mercy on us. Make us like Barnabas and not like Ananias. And thank you, Lord, for your amazing patience with us. Grant us grace to avoid hypocrisy and to pursue integrity. In verses 7 through 10, Peter approaches Sapphira about her own involvement in this matter. The results of the meeting were the same. She shared in her husband's conspiracy and would share in her husband's fate. Sometimes it's sinful for a wife to submit to her husband. Her loyalty first belongs to God. She should not have gone along with Ananias' devilish plan. And so for, for those listening, you might remember my sermon on the fear of the Lord. Obviously, Ananias and Sapphira needed a healthier and better, and just a plain uh, example, just they need to have the fear of the Lord. The God of all the earth demands respect. So as we consider this passage, we shouldn't think, God would never do that to me. Rather, we need to remember that God is not mocked. Just as Uzzah, Nahab, Abihu, King Uzziah, the Exodus generation, and the powerful people in Revelation who want the rocks to fall down on them because their fear of the king's judgment is so extreme. Proverbs teaches us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 but if you don't stand in awe of God, you are unwise. Destruction will come eventually. Sapphira and Ananias also needed the application of the gospel. They either didn't understand the gospel or had not allowed it to work down deep in their hearts. The gospel frees us from addictions to self and stuff. It frees us from pretending it frees us from wanting praise from people. It frees us from wanting to lie, steal, and deceive. It makes us honest and generous. It sets our minds on the glory that is to be revealed. Let this story remind you of how badly you need to understand the gospel of grace and your identity in Christ. Finally, this couple needed to live in repentance we must learn from their mistake. When we are aware of personal sins, we must repent of them. In truth, we are all guilty of hypocrisy, but as soon as we recognize it, we must repent. Repent means to turn, to, to, to turn around and to, to pursue God. Turn around from the sin and pursue God. This couple has been living in known rebellion and sin, and it appears they are we're okay with their hypocrisy. The story calls the church to repent while there's still time. God does and still will continue to extend grace. Thank you. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.